Welcome to Sunrise Life, the podcast where we have deep conversations with freelance models. And today I have Vivian Cove on the line. Say hi, Vivian. Hello. <laughs> I'm so excited that you had the availability to do this with me. We've been chatting about it for a couple of months, and I'm really excited to get to learn more about you during this podcast. Yeah, I'm excited to share more aspects about myself to folks who follow me or folks I've even worked with get a little more of my life story. Yeah. I did creep on your Instagram page a bit more because let's be honest, Instagram is where a lot of us spend a lot of time on the internet and share a lot about ourselves. Unfortunately. And, yeah. <laughs> no, unfortunately. <laughs> I saw in the title or underneath your name on your bio in Instagram, uh, you describe yourself as a living statue. And then as I was scrolling down all of your images, I was like visualizing all of these poses as like a statue. And I was like, you know, that that really does make sense. A lot of your poses are very statuesque. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I do feel really inspired by Greek statues and Renaissance art. I love going to museums. I love being inspired by my surroundings and what I'm seeing. And it also puts me in more of a observational position. So I'm just absorbing art and information. And I do have a background in acrobatics and movement art. So that has certainly informed my posing style. And a lot of my posing involves flowing and movement. And yeah, I, I really seek dynamism in anything that I do. And I've been described as a living sculpture. So, you know, why not make that a brand? <laughs> I love it. And I think it really works out. My only question as I'm scrolling on your page is that you have a lot of implied and censored nudes. Have you had issues with Instagram having like your account threatened or anything like that? <laughs> yes, I'm a total rebel that a lot of models have really big followings and therefore post work where they are mostly clothed. and. I'm just like, no thanks. I almost explicitly do art nudes. That's who I am as a model. That's the type of work that I align with the most. It's what inspires me the most. And if I post work that deviates from that, then I won't get booked for the kinds of shoots that I want to be doing. So yeah. I know it's contentious to do that. And the answer is yes, I actually had my main account removed early this year, it's like January. And I had, you know, not like a giant following like you, but it was a pretty substantial number of followers. So super disappointing to lose that. But fortunately, I do keep an Excel sheet of photographers who I've connected with on Instagram or photographers who I've worked with or am intending to work with, I make sure I have all that contact information documented elsewhere. So in the event I lose my account, I don't lose all my contacts because that's just the worst. But it's really unfortunate to lose, like I put a lot of work into how I curate my Instagram. And a lot of photographers will, you know, they wanna, a lot of them don't ask, but I know that there's this desire for their work to be shared on my page. And I would love to do that, but it's really important to me that I, stay on brand, that I post work that is really representative of who I am, and that it's really high quality work. So all that to say, I, I put a lot of work into 
how I curate my gallery. And I've, I've been informed by model mentors of mine that it's good to treat it like a magazine. So to have images that weave really well with one another, I think that's super important. So yeah, I'm pretty bold in posting mostly censored implying nude stuff. And like, I call, I call it the scotch tape method to like tape out the breasts or tape out the genitals or whatever, you know, even that in and of itself is important for me to, to do consistently. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I'd say as long as you continue to get away with it, just keep doing it. I think that Instagram does kind of like, uh, They'll over time, like mark you. I, th I I think that I'm marked based on my IP address or something, or maybe it's my name, or maybe they've scanned my face because I've even created new accounts to post like uh, implied nudes. And I've had those accounts taken down within a couple of months of starting them, posting the same kind of stuff that's already all over Instagram. So you're so researched in this domain. You're such a pro at how to fuck the Instagram system and to subvert the attention of the bots. Or, you know, I've seen and have heard your accounts. You've kind of been a spokesperson for art models who've lost their accounts and have been an aid to supporting us getting our accounts back. Um, but it's a, yeah, but it's kind of an arduous process. It's more involved than I have personally have the time or attention for attention span yeah. for. Yeah. Yeah. My account has been my the same account has been deactivated by Instagram sixteen separate times now. And I've been able to get it back. But the last time it was deactivated, it took an entire month to get it back. Where previous times it was like a few days, maybe a week or so. But the last time I really thought I wasn't gonna get it back. And I feel like even though I'm sure half of my followers are inactive or bots or whatever, because <laughs> I've had them for such a long time, I think it does help me get bookings to have a high following count, especially because I can't post implied stuff. I have to direct people offsite to like uh, my portfolio or to implied.vip or model mayhem to look sure. at like, my actual portfolio because I can't yeah <laughs> my account was deactivated and that was my first account it took forever to build a following because I created that Instagram account I think it was 2018 that's when I started art modeling so already Instagram was going down the yes. it was already losing its credibility and becoming more punitive with censorship so Already, it was hard for me to develop a following. I was shadow banned. And so my biggest concern with losing my main account was not losing my contacts, but was losing credibility, I guess, or like, yeah. you know, because I did feel that photographer, this is a total projection. Obviously, I need to ask photographers personally if this is true. But I have a story that photographers are more likely to book you if you have a decent following. And so I was concerned, great, I'm starting from square one. So am I going to be as appealing to work with? And I found that in my experience of losing my account, well, first of all, right after I lost my account and started activating my backup, people were so supportive in helping me regain my following 
and also helping me try to get my main account back. And it, it didn't work because I didn't do all the steps correctly fast enough. So hopefully next time if I get deactivated, I am more resourced and can actually bring it back. But I was really blown away by the amount of support that I received. People were sharing my profile and their stories and their posts and giving me a shout out. And, it, you know, it just it made me feel really held by the community. But also, so to any art model who's afraid of losing their accounts, if you're established enough in the industry, I wouldn't be terribly concerned with getting any less bookings. I have not found that to be an issue. That's good advice. I also feel like today's economy of Instagram and photographers and models is very, very accustomed to getting censored and getting deleted and stuff. So it's it's more obvious like, oh, this is her third account or whatever. So it, it's happening to everybody already. So it's more understandable if you have to start again from square one. Yeah, people are really sympathetic to that. I think the people who are more down to earth and less superficial, they see who you are as a person, no matter how many followers you have. If you put a lot of work into your profile and not just the gallery or the images you post, but the personality that comes through in your posts or the, the the online persona that you portray in your stories, for example, people really yeah. start to know who you are. And I think that's the difference between art modeling and other genres of paid professional modeling genres like fashion and having an agent and, you know, just that modeling world is, yeah, it's a different group of people that you're d different demographic that you're working with. Definitely. And, and that actually makes me want to ask, how did you first get into modeling? And if you don't mind describing your entry into this world and how your career has progressed and led you to where you are today? Sure. So I'm trying to figure out where exactly to begin. So I'll start off before modeling. Before modeling, I had graduated from UC Santa Cruz in 2016, and I was a school teacher of all things. And I became a preschool teacher because I had no idea what else to do. I've been a movement artist my whole life. I've explored many genres of performing arts. I was an acrobat in a pre-professional circus troupe as a preteen which was insanely pivotal in my developmental years. And then I graduated to theater and dance. This was in high school because I was at a crossroads. I wanted to figure out, okay, am I really gonna pursue the circus arts career or do I want more of a normal life <laughs> with <laughs> you know, more friends in school? Because was very divided at that point. I had my circus world and I had my world outside of that. And that was fine at the time, but it was so much a very demanding career that I would have had to step into and I was not equipped for it. And I had become very disillusioned in that world. So I made the conscious choice to sever ties with that community and yeah, pursue other performing arts. So I did theater and dance in high school. And then I went to college and continued to explore like what avenues of theater and dance that I liked. And I discovered 
contact improv, which is in itself a very niche thing, much like the art modeling, art photography industry. <laughs> you know, at this point, I've, I've realized that I've always been on the fringes of society and I, I like it that way. So contact improv was very transformative for me. I never felt that I was a good enough dancer. I was really hard on myself. I had very high standards. I always perceived that other people perceived me as par in dance. And I did not have a background in it really prior to high school. So I wasn't, I wasn't professionally trained. So I avoid calling myself a dancer, especially because you have models who are actual dancers and they do very epic athletic dance poses and I don't but I do movement art I'm a movement artist so anyway I stepped into contact improv I felt immediately welcomed into the community because it's not just a dance practice it's it's a community space and I put a lot of emphasis and value in being part of community spaces and I'll come back to this a bit later but I met someone you might know this person they go by V Wild Art, formerly known as Venus de Sierra. Yeah. Yeah. So I met this person. She was known as <laughs> Venus on V at the time. If you get the double entendre, it's pretty funny. Anyway, so <laughs> so this we met every Tuesday night in the contact improv jam world. And she was really intrigued by me. She saw me moving and dancing and partnering with other people and well, let me give a little background into contact improv. It's really hard to explain what it is, but in essence, it's a dance practice that involves weight sharing and gravity. And I actually have become a serious practitioner of this embodiment art. And it can be really acrobatic. And with my, my circus arts training and my dance training, it was like a hybrid of dance or, or movement and flow. So it felt less regimented, less structured, much more, it's improv. So it's improvisational. So it's based on creative impulse, any movement that comes through your body. And I felt this wide acceptance of my movement. And I felt that I wasn't trying to replicate anyone else. And that's what you do in the world of choreography. Someone teaches you a piece and you kind of have to move like them and move like everybody else. And that just, yeah. my body didn't like that. I felt kind of trapped in that. And also, again, I was really hard on myself because I was trying to match the skill set of another dancer. And that was so hard for me. So contact improv felt so liberating. Cool. And so, so I met Be Wild Art, probably known as Venus de Sierra in this contact world in Santa Cruz. And we were going to this contact jam every night and every Tuesday night. And a jam is a space where anyone from anywhere can come and partake in this dance practice. They can be really technically skilled or they could come in and seek physical contact. So it's a community space where people seek embodiment and connection. And we're in such a touch-depraved society. And so people come in, they can be really technically skilled. They could also be very inexperienced, but their intention is to seek connection. 
So I really enjoyed that aspect of it, but I'm definitely, because of my circus arts training, I buried myself deep in the the practice of contact improv. And whenever I go to a jam, I want to dance. Like I want to fucking play. It is my way to let loose. It's my way to ground. When I come home from a tour, I go to the next contact jam that's around for me. And it's the best way for me to decompress. So anyway, I met V Wild Art, formerly known as Venus de Sierra, at the weekly contact jam in Santa Cruz. And she was, I mean, we, we became fast friends. We weren't super tight right away, but we were both like two of the youngest in the space. So there, we certainly had that in common. And she's watching me dance. I'm soloing. And when I solo dance, I really pour my heart out. And at the end of the jam, she approaches me and asks, have you ever considered modeling? And my eyes light up because we're friends on Facebook and I've seen her post some, you know, art nudes out in nature. And they're some of the wildest photographs I've ever seen in my life. And they're insanely beautiful and uh, inspiring. And she said, well, interest to you why don't you come along with me on a couple photo shoots before I travel again and V is constantly on the road she is nomadic so she doesn't stay in one place for too long so I figured if I really wanted to try this out I would need to seize this opportunity so I lied to my my boss at the preschool and said hey I have a doctor's appointment (laughs) and I went to my first photo shoot ever in the Bay Area and this was with her and another model, Catalina Cruz, and three photographers. And it involved, of course, it involved something that makes art modeling really challenging, which is flower. It was a flower shoot. So powder, essentially. And I had to learn how to leap (laughs) and twirl and do these really advanced poses while there's this powder on the ground It's so easy for me to slip and slide. And I have to learn how to be airborne with a stoic expression on my face. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like really thrown into the deep end, which was great because I had a blast. I think I can do this. And I found this like newfound sense of confidence and and joy that I was not getting on my preschool job. So yeah. And then I went to my second shoot with her and... Yeah, there was a white backdrop. And so she was teaching me how to pose with more negative space. Essentially, she served as a little bit of a mentor during those two shoots. In the middle of my second shoot, we go upstairs and the photographer wants us to use plastic. He wants us to essentially break through the plastic and for him to photograph us going through our process, breaking through. And it was super emotive and produced really evocative photos. And the photographer I worked with said, I don't think I've ever experienced a model go that deep. That was really powerful. And that I felt really seen as an artist, you know, because I felt really authentic in my experience. And the fact that it produced such good images felt really satisfying and rewarding. And that was the day I thought, you know, I think I'm going to try this out and see what happens. And long story short, I quit my preschool job soon after and 
I had also started working with a movement arts center. This is where the contact jams are held. I was doing that part-time because I'm also passionate about nonprofit and the arts and creating accessibility in the arts world. So I was doing that part-time and then I was modeling part-time. And, you know, I saw these other models, probably including you, making a full-time career out of it. And I thought to myself, how the heck? No way. Like, I don't know how they do it. It seems really hard. I don't know if I'd be equipped for that. So I'm not, I'm not aiming for that. I'm just going to do it part-time and see where it takes me. And then, I don't know, it was like late 2020. Ironically, this was during COVID. It started to become a full-time gig for me. I was getting bookings constantly. You know, I'd say I'm traveling somewhere and I get booked up pretty quickly. And I noticed that a lot of abundance was coming my way. And so I instinctively followed that. And so I left the nonprofit. I'm still involved with it in volunteered ways, but I really threw myself into the art modeling. And since then, I've been exploring other facets of this industry. So I went from traveling art model, and now I'm finding myself in more entrepreneurial positions. I like calling it entrepreneurial. Yes, I like <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I feel like I rambled forever. Jesus. (laughs) No, it's, I liked hearing about like the evolution of your earlier life and how you had all the experience with the acrobatics and then variety of different dance and then found that you enjoyed the contact improv, which I had never heard of that before. And I was visualizing it as you were describing it. But it does sound cool and interesting. I, I might need to go check out some YouTube videos later to, to see more about it. But the, the way that you described it as a more creative, imp- improvisational type thing, it makes sense being a creative person and living a creative life that you wouldn't want to just follow the choreography that somebody would like expect of you. I mean, and there's parallels between that and art modeling. Because I could model in a genre where somebody is directing my every move and is micromanaging me and trying to get the perfect shot to sell a product or whatever. But I'd say 5% of the time when I'm in front of the camera, I'm allowed to do whatever I want. (laughs) I love that too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, photographers might have a, a basic concept. Sometimes photographers have no idea what they want. And so it allows me to step into an art director role, which I enjoy a lot. And then sometimes, to be honest, I kind of want to be directed because if I'm in the middle of a tour and I'm starting to burn out, I don't want to have to exert any more creative juices. I just want to be available as a body for the images. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What you mean? (laughs) Yeah. But back, but I could send you a link or a few links actually to me doing some contact improv um yeah yeah i i would love to share that i feel like contact improviser has super lent itself to my posing style especially i love posing with other models and i i'm actually really picky with who i pose with for a lot of reasons if i work with a model who i feel i have a lot of chemistry with and they have really good body awareness then i i have so much fun putting us in these weird shapes and and poses where we're both counterbalancing off of each other. And it's just, and also it's really like, it's kind of intimate to be honest, because you're really in 
close proximity with another nude person. And yeah, it's, it's like a trust building bonding experience that I really enjoy. That, that's interesting that you brought that up because you mentioned a moment ago your entrepreneurship as well as posing with other models. And I know that you are involved in these group events for photographers and models to participate in Venus de Tierra and Femme Nu retreats. Can you elaborate a little bit more on how those trips work? Yes, definitely. Before I do that, I noticed that end of each year, I reflect on what worked and what I want to do next year. So both Venus de Tierra and Femme Nu emerged organically with my collaborators, um, V Wild Art with Venus de Tierra and Sienna Hayes for Femme Nu. And they're both such powerhouse femme people in my life. And I'm so honored to collaborate with them on these projects. So both were founded like i don't remember the exact year at this point but yeah i just noticed at that time in my life there's something more to this industry than just traveling and working with people one-on-one so i love community i've been really spoiled with community my whole life when i did circus arts i felt that the people i worked with were a family and there's such a closeness that brings so much joy to my heart and and my soul, really. So it's a passion of mine to create community spaces. And I am utilizing that skill set in, you know, in these events that I co-create. So Venus de Tierra is a wilderness art nude photo tour that takes place in various destinations. V is a very experienced scout and guide. She grew up in the Eastern Sierras and has a co-living regenerative house in the Eastern Sierra presently. And she was doing mostly one-on-one shoots with photographers who, who would go out to the Eastern Sierra to work with her. And she'd take them to these amazing places and would have an itinerary for each day and super structured. That's one of her superpowers is experience design. And I approached her and asked her, what do you think about with more people, you know, inviting more photographers to participate and inviting more models to to model in these locations. And at that point, I had built a pretty extensive network of my own. So the agreement was she would provide the locations and lodging and I would provide the clients or photographers. And yeah, we did a beta tour late 2021, I want to say, and it worked super well. And we decided to organize multiple tours henceforth. And it's just booming right now. I'm really excited with its success so far. And Femme is a luxury art photo retreat. Sienna is like is like V when it comes to scouting, but she scouts indoor locations and she has an amazing skill at researching super beautiful locations all over the world. And they're more indoor oriented, I guess. I mean, there are grounds, so we're also shooting outside, but our intention is to have indoor locations where photographers and models reside together 
and shoot throughout the property for the duration of each retreat. And we usually have a caterer. We usually have other animities that are offered through the properties. So I like to call it a creative vacation, whereas the Venus tours are more of a rugged outdoor adventure. And both are definitely driven by creating community. And at the Venuses, we value gathering, you know, on the land that we're shooting on and talking about the the first nation peoples of each land. And we really enjoy branching out of just taking people to epic locations and shooting there. We also really value sharing our work with one another. So we have two photo shares throughout the tour. On the first night, which is the meet and greet, we also have a photo share where photographers share pieces of their portfolio with everyone else. And then on the final night before the last morning, we gather again and show some of the unedited work that was coming from the tour. And that was super cool because it's just great for models to see what's being captured. And it's great for photographers to learn with from one another and to have a a process that is more collaborative than individualized. So what we've learned in the last year of doing these tours is that the models and photographers both are really important to us. Both of their experiences on tour are really important to us. And on the Femme retreats, we really value comfort and quality. So each of the locations that Sienna scouts are insanely cool and and elegant and inspiring, artistically inspiring for painterly classical imagery that kind of like has, that feels timeless. And yeah, so because we co-organize both of these entities, it's really important for me to clearly distinguish the two so that there's no confusion. So because I co-organize both of these entities, it's really important for me to distinguish both of them as separate so that people don't get confused between the two offerings. I mean, I do hire models for both events sometimes, but I, I try my best to even keep that a bit separate. Sienna compared it to me being the boss of Coca-Cola and Pepsi. So <laughs> really interesting for me up for both in the capacity that I can and to honor my roles in both entities. They're a bit different for both. I definitely utilize different skill sets for both, but they both mean a lot to me. And I really enjoy inviting photographers and models into my world and showing off my organizational skills and experience designing you know, within the world of AI, it's it's a bit scary and threatening because, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, it's, it's scary because generate an image without doing anything. A computer does it for you. And I, I am a little bit resentful about that. But the one thing you cannot replace in what we do is the experiences that we provide. I want to take a short little break to tell you about Model Society. ModelSociety.com is a website dedicated to featuring figurative fine art photography for models and photographers. What makes them different than other portfolio hosting websites is that 
some of those other websites will still host kind of tacky photography or exploitative photos. Model Society screens all of their contributors for quality and authenticity. So you only get the best of the best on there. If you're not a photographer or model, you can still enjoy and appreciate Model Society because they also have newsletters and magazines featuring their best work and new articles each week. Check it out, modelsociety.com. I will also include a link to Model Society in the show notes. All right, now back to our show. You cannot replace that. And so I feel... Yeah, so I feel I'm good and I can only grow and thrive from this position. I love that. It sounds like you do have a lot of focus on what you mentioned before, like generating community and not only just generating communities, but focusing those sessions within those communities on creating art in certain niches with certain intentions. And I love I love that it seems to flow with your life. And you mentioned that at the end of every year, you evaluate what worked and what didn't, and you focus more on creating things that work. So your life seems to be somewhat like a like a beautiful dance. Yeah, exactly. Am I, am I right in that? Yeah, I absolutely. Love, but uh, I do have a question for you, though, because... I want to add some hilarity because in this world with freelance modeling, there's always stuff that kind of like makes you chuckle or makes you question like, whoa, what was that? I, I have a bit on this podcast that I call the photo shoot fail of the week. And it's purely for entertainment purposes because sometimes things don't always happen as planned, or, you know, you'll have a surprise that you weren't expecting. Can you describe an experience at a photo shoot where something didn't happen as as it was supposed to, or perhaps the photographer was out of line or something interesting happened at a photo shoot? What What is your, your, your crazy photo shoot story? Okay, I'm going to try to tell the short version of this because it is quite, <laughs> it is quite a tale. <laughs> Oh man. Okay. So um, the day before I did this photo shoot, I was working with another photographer. This is in Portland and we were exchanging funny stories. And I was telling him that I have not had an experience where I've injured myself or that I've eaten shit (laughs) (laughs) to put it crassly. And following day, I have this full day shoot with this photographer and we're driving I don't know it's like an hour and a half outside of Portland and it's a location that he scouted it is off trail is remote it is very I mean there's a reason why beautiful and people can't get to it so it's always a concern to pose out in nature in a place that's more public where there's foot traffic. So we did not have to worry about that at this location. And because it, it's such a journey to get to it, we wanted to spend the whole day out there. So I have his hiking stick from the car. And myself, I've never used hiking sticks before, but I have a feeling I'm going to need them for this. So we are parked in this parking lot. You see this beautiful view from the parking lot. And then we walk towards the, quote, trail, not really a trail. We get to the beginning of it. And I notice it's a very steep incline. And (laughs) 
I'm a little bit nervous because my knees aren't great at the ripe age of 30. And I find that going downhill is actually pretty hard for me. And I had no idea how long this hike was going to be. So we're going down, we're going down. There's a lot of twists and turns and struggling a little bit, but we get to the bottom. We're fine. And at the bottom is this epic waterfall. And I'm completely captivated and blown away by its beauty. And I'm feeling the mist on my face. And it's kind of chilly, even though it's the middle of August. But I just like breathe in the cold air. And I feel so refreshed. And it was one of those instances where I thought, oh, my God, it was so worth the journey to get here. Little did I know the journey had just fucking begun. Um, so it's really wet. There's a waterfall. And then there's a river, you know, below it, there's streaming water, and there's these really beautiful green mossy rocks. So we start shooting, we do our first couple of sets, all is well, I'm a little chilly, because the moss under my feet is really cold. This is like frigid mountain water. So Mm. my feet are not yet acclimated to this. And then he says to me, what do you think about going across the river to the other side? And I said, sure. Meanwhile, I don't have water shoes. I don't even have the best hiking shoes. I have my Chacos. These are my hiking sandals, which I wear to almost every single shoot that's outdoors. And I don't know, we decide like, should we bring all of our stuff? This looks a little bit daunting. And he said, he's taken another model across the way before and it's been fine. And of course he's reassuring, like, if you don't feel safe doing this, like we won't do it. He definitely wasn't (laughs) pressuring me to do it, but I'm really adventurous and I thought to myself, no, let's do this. I'm going to prove to myself that I'm capable. And if you, no offense to him, but if you can do it, I can do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> mossy rocks. These shoes don't have the best grip. And these rocks are really slippery. I mean, you could just look at them and you see the sheen over the green. And it's, you know, I'm staring at these rocks and I, I'm trying to deliberate where am I putting my foot next what's my trajectory how am I going to get to the other side but then you know I start stepping on a rock and it's not stable I step on another rock it's too slippery so it was exhausting to be standing and shaking because I'm destabilized and also I'm cold even though I'm layered up and then one wrong misstep and I fucking eat shit (laughs) I fall I fall to my left side into the water. I get completely drenched. And I forgot what I said, but all I know is that I got up on my feet saying over and over, I'm cold, I'm cold, I'm cold. My body kind of went into into fight or flight because I was really cold and I felt really trapped. I didn't know where to go from here. Do I turn around? Do I keep going? I'm sort of in the middle at this point. So I figure, okay, I just got to get to the other side. But there are a few more steps I have to take ahead of me that require me stepping more into the water. And then, I kid you not, seconds later, the photographer eats shit. (sighs) Um, Not as badly as me. But when he eats shit, he loses a hiking stick. And it just, we, we, we look behind us and it's going down the river. And the rapids are pretty mild, but there's no way we're getting that back. So... It was insanely harrowing to get to the other side. And I keep saying, I'm cold, I'm cold, I'm cold, and I'm shaking. So it makes me very wobbly. And at one point, I have to 
climb up this rock to get out of the water and to officially be on the other side of this river. And I'm just, I'm struggling because I'm shaking and I'm wet. So everything that I'm wearing is heavy on me. Uh. And then we get to the top and then we just look at each other and we start laughing because it was just so ridiculous. And he was so apologetic. He broke me. And frankly, I banged my knee when I fell and it, it hurt. But because of the adrenaline, I wasn't entirely sure how badly I had hurt it. So we commenced the rest of the shoot. I being me powered through. We walked down the river and then were able to walk back to the trail without having to wade through water. And, you know, that was nice. But then I'm thinking to myself, we still have to get all the way back to the top. Yeah. (laughs) And... It was not easy. My knee is banged up. I have a towel across my waist and a sweatshirt because all my other clothes are soaking wet. So I'm like partially clothed to keep warm, but I can't walk like I normally would with a pair of pants on. Yeah. And so it was like uh, when I fell into the water, it felt like slow motion and I had no idea what was going to happen. I, immediately thought, did I break my kneecap? Am I going to go floating away into the, into the river? (laughs) Like it was, yeah, the most harrowing experience I've ever had. And it's a really good story. And I tell the photographer who I was talking to the, the, the night before, like, man, I think I jinxed myself when we were talking about this. (laughs) That is just way too much of a coincidence that that happened. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I think I saw when I was scrolling down your page, there's like a photo of you posing on some mossy rock in the forest and the caption said, this is the most harrowing shoot ever. So I guess this is the story behind that caption, I'm guessing. It's a more elaborate, detailed version of the story. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I'm not much of a much of a storyteller but quite a story and there's plenty more faux pas I've experienced throughout my career some really unpleasant moments I've gotten a lot better at expressing my boundaries I've gotten hypothermic a couple of times ironically along the California coast because I mean I think you know the Mark Twain quote the coldest winter I've ever had was a summer in San Francisco. (laughs) So it applies as well to the coast along Highway 1 from like Northern California to Santa Cruz to Big Sur. You know, it's cold and unpleasant. And, you know, I've had to really learn how to track my capacity to do something really adventurous. Like if I'm feeling wobbly or I'm feeling off balance in any way because it's too early in the morning or I'm too cold, I won't do it, you know, or I'll push myself before I get past my limit, which is something you have to learn as an art model. You know, you have to really have, you have to have some level of endurance and stamina and It's kind of like drinking alcohol for the first time. You don't really know what your limit is until you pass it. So I had to do that. I've had to do that a handful of occasions. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I've had some like snow shoots that were not 
planned well and have experienced, oh, like I am going to get hypothermia if I, or, or frostbite or something, if I don't speak up for myself. So I guess it kind of forces you to learn yeah. you know, what your boundaries are and then how to express them. I'm a Cali girl. I'm a native here in the Bay Area. So it's not the most seasonal place. I mean, it's November and it's sunny outside my window and it's been in the 60s. It's supposed to get cooler, but my body is really acclimated to this temperature. So I don't I don't do great with cold in general, but I, I really try my best. And I, in fact, have wardrobe for these specific occasions. Photographers who have worked with me know that I own two pairs of onesies. I have one that's uh, it's a, it's a tiger onesie and it's one that Sweet. they're like pajama onesies. So I wear that indoors most of the time, but sometimes I wear it outside if there's not a lot of debris on the ground. And then I also have this onesie that a photographer got for me. I don't really know how to describe it. I think that's Fala from Iceland wears something like this. So the photographer who gave it to me said that she was wearing it when he was in Iceland with her. And so he bought me one and it's, I don't know how else to describe it other than it's like a plumber onesie or something. <laughs> I don't know if plumbers wear onesies, but when you think of like blue collar jobs, like working in labor, you know, people are wearing, I think sometimes people wear onesies, but it's, it's like that. It's really industrial. It's really practical. It's not fashionable, but it keeps me warm. And it really saves me from taking a lot of time from layering and unlayering you know how it goes when you're taking off your shirt, your pants, your underpants, and then before yeah. that, your your sweater, your jacket. It's yeah, like, it's so much effort, especially when you're cold. You know, so quick strip is the way to go. I should get some warm onesies. I'm motivated to look for that now. <laughs> I highly recommend. I highly recommend to anyone who doesn't yet have onesies. I saw I saw a V wearing a onesie on a Venus tour. Thought that was brilliant. And it was cute. And I thought to myself, I want to look cute and be warm. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a fuzzy robe that I bring everywhere with me. And that's my onesie, I guess. <laughs> it's good for indoor shoots. I ha I mean, I'm wearing a robe right now. But when it comes to being outdoors, being covered up completely, sometimes I wear two pairs of socks. Sometimes I wear my hiking shoes. And sometimes I pack layers, even though I don't know if I'm going to need them. I just have learned the hard way so many times how ill-prepared I've been. And I'm just, I kind of joke with photographers I work with now. I'm just tired of being cold. Yes. I mean, I can really relate to that. And I will be looking at the weather in advance. If somebody schedules me for an outside shoot and it's like going to be an ice storm or something like that, I'll just be like, I know that like, I'm trying to make income here, but I also really know that this is going to be a harsh experience. If it's, if it's like 40 and windy and rainy, I'm like, I don't want to suffer through that. Yeah. Well, you scout a lot, don't you? Where yeah. do you normally yourself, I want to travel to this place and then I want to spend like a week just scouting locations and then inviting photographers out. Is that your process or what is your process like? So I live in an RV and I travel around in it. And 
over the last like five years, I've found places that I want, like I passed through in the past and wanted to go through that area a lot more like specifically and like find more stuff in the area. And I found like certain, certain areas I've like stayed a month at a time. And now there's like a particular town in South Utah that I've kind of honed in on as like the one area that has the highest concentration of beautiful nature around it. And I go there twice a year now, but there's definitely other nature areas that I do want to get more into exploring. It's just that I've found certain places that really work well for me that I've kind of got like a, a good handle of what specific locations look good at what time of the day and like, you know, how early the sunrise is going to be and what the temperature is going to be like and how I can prepare to be warm enough at sunrise and, and, and all of that. But I, I do want to explore more in New Mexico. And I also want to explore more in, in the Sierras at some point, but it's just a matter of me changing my plans one year and taking the RV somewhere else and uh, exploring that area. Yeah, yeah. Some new events, we never repeat uh, a location. We might repeat the city that the location is in, but we don't repeat any any locations. On the Venus tours, on the other hand, we've repeated certain tours. We've done multiple tours in the Eastern Sierra in the last couple of years. In effort to not oversaturate the locations, we decided to omit that from our tour schedule for 2024. So we're actually going to be in Southern Utah as well. And I'm really excited about that. And you know, it's something, I don't know if you think about this, it's something I think about a lot. I track other outdoor adventure tours. And I also want to say, you know, I wouldn't be doing what I am doing now if it weren't for the ones that I have worked with in the past. So mm -hmm. I, I wonder, if you, if you track these things, because for me, like it's, it's inevitable. Some locations might overlap, you know, based on, based on areas that we've scouted and, you know, certain tours might look similar to someone else's tour. You know, <laughs> I have a story about that. Oh, really? <laughs> kind of. No, I was on a tour with, um, I was participating in somebody else's, you know, multi-model, multi-photographer multi tour in South Utah. And then I was posing in these sand dunes, in this sand dune area in South Utah. I'm intentionally being vague to not expose locations. And while I was posing, there was like a man walking directly towards me and I'm naked. And he's like, He's like, hi there. And I'm like, oh crap, I need my towel. I need to hide. Like this guy's beelining towards me and the photographer's shooting me and stuff. And he's like, oh, I know you, you're Christy. You know, I know who you are, but you don't know who I am. And I was like, what? Whoa. <laughs> it was, it he, he, then he exposed his first name. He said, I'm Dimitri. I run No uh, fucking way. Oh and I was like, God. oh, okay. And I was immediately calmed because I'm like, okay, so I know who he is and why he's here now that he's exposed his first name to me. And yeah, so we, our, our tour bumped into the Utah tour. I was on the Muses of the West and we ran into Utah Adventure at the same time at the same location. And then everybody hung out in the parking lot afterwards. And it was really funny and interesting, but, but yeah, so two, two different like tour groups that cross paths the same time on the same day. What are the odds? <laughs> 
That's hilarious. And I know the exact location you're talking about because I was uh, was a model with UT Adventure for a while. It's a great location. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, it's cool that you guys handled it smoothly, like rather than being territorial, you both kind of acknowledge that, hey, this is a really cool backdrop and why not share the wealth? It's something that I'm I'm working on because sometimes I have some shadowy parts like all humans do. I can be a little bit competitive. I can be a little bit territorial around certain things. I'm a loyalist in nature. So I find that when someone crosses me, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to pursue this any further. And so I'm learning how to be more humble and I'm learning how to soften those edges because it's really hypocritical for me to say, I want to promote community if I am alienating other people or other entities. And I, that's just something I'm trying to be more mindful of as an organizer, because I want to be a good role model. I want to set a good example. I also want to honor my boundaries and, you know, only have relationships that serve me. But that's something I've really had to learn as an event organizer. And like, you know, I've had some unpleasant interactions with people I've hired and, you know, things that don't always end well and being utterly crippled by that because I've always wanted to be well-liked. But the truth is, the more boundaries I have, the less liked I am by everyone. And I'm okay with that. Like, I have my ride or die people and I have, and, you know, and that's not to sound threatening, but it's just like, I'm learning who I am more and I'm accepting these parts of myself while also trying to be open yeah that's something that's really been pronounced for me in the last year especially yeah when, when you're running a business and a, like for example a business that involves scouting private or not maybe not private but less known locations for nude photo shoots people might want to know where your locations are. And yeah, you might be being a yes person and maybe potentially promoting community by exposing your locations. And this is just an example, and I'm not saying this is an issue for you, but people have asked me, oh, can you tell me where this is? And I have to really think about, do I want to give this individual the GPS coordinates for this location that I've spent you know, years and thousands of dollars in gas trying to find these different places because it is a a business move on my part for me to find these secluded spots. But it's like if photographers are going to come on the trip, obviously they're going to know the spots too. But then outside of the business, like what is your like role in being a community member in exposing locations or not? And I'm mostly on the side of you know, if, if they didn't drive out to Utah and find it themselves, then, you know, they shouldn't just get these GPS pins for free, you know? <laughs> that's that's exactly how I feel. Uh, in fact, on the Venus tours, we have a WhatsApp thread before and during and even after each tour. And sometimes we continue to connect on the WhatsApp thread even after the fact, but we'll, we'll share minutes or pins just so people know where we're going. Um, or for whatever reason, someone gets lost or we're going separately, they know where they're going. But I delete them as soon as we're done because it's preserving an area that I personally wouldn't want to have a lot of foot traffic. And maybe I'm being a total hypocrite, whatever. And then 
like you said, there is a lot of time and energy and investment scouting locations. And it's not like we get paid for that. I know that in my model fees or organizer fees for tours, we include that, you know, because it is it is part of the job that goes unrecognized. And I know I've been on the receiving end of being taken to locations and how magical that is. It's so fun to be in the back seat, giddy, awaiting what's ahead. And being a tour guide is rewarding in in that, you know, we're the ones taking these people to these really cool places. And it feels kind of sacred sometimes because it, I, I mean, I know for me being out in wild spaces feels really raw and vulnerable. Almost every single time I'm on a Venus tour, I'm going through something personal, but that's just me in general. I I don't know. There was a time in my mid 20s I attracted a lot of of hardship and drama and I'm taking ownership of the fact that I did that to myself because from childhood and shit. So, you know, I'd be going through something, I'd be in a period of growth around it, and sometimes I'd be in a deep place of victimhood. And just would need to be a victim for a while before stepping into the place of, okay, accountability, growth, solution, whatever. So going out to these landscapes can can be really raw and powerful for me. And V and I always joke that on every single Venus tour, one of us has a breakdown. Sometimes like in front of other people, you know, like participants or other models, then, you know, we comfort each other. And that's part of the experience is allowing the raw human to be to be seen and not shamed. And that's an example I, I want to set. You know, we're artists, we create art, we reveal some of the deepest, darkest parts of ourselves, even if we're not fully aware of it. So back to your question, some of the locations I have scouted or have receiving end of what other people have scouted can feel really sacred. And I, it's not that I don't want to share. I just want to preserve the sanctity of that. And if I put a lot of effort into finding a place that is super secluded, I don't feel inclined to share those locations with anyone. Yes. Yeah. Unless we're going there for a shoot and they're going to shoot me and then I might. Right. And then I, at the end of each shoot, I don't tell people like, can you not bring someone else here? I don't do that. I just like, they will if they want to. I can't control anyone over that. And that's fine. If they feel it will serve them, that's great. I think I might tell them like, hey, you know, I just want to make sure that there isn't a huge footprint at this location and a bunch of pedestrians coming this way. So if you can be mindful of who you share this location to, I would appreciate that. Yes, I think that's the ethical thing to do. Yeah, ethical. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You were kind of um, going deep into like the humanity aspects of your past and the way that you have, you know, kind of gone through like eras of your life where you're reflecting and stuff. And this is kind of leading into a part of my podcast that I call the rising phoenix era of your life. And sometimes by the time we get to this part of the podcast, we've already maybe touched on it or like you might have already brought this up. But and, and if so, you can just let me know. But can you describe something in your life, whether it's related to your modeling or not, you can decide where you were faced with a challenge that you had to overcome? I love that question. 
Yeah, and I like that you speak to the humanity. It's really easy for any working relationship to be purely transactional. And I know some models hold this as a business more than anything else. I, I'm definitely a bit cautious with who I let in, but I am kind of an open book. I like sharing aspects of my life, especially if it, you know, if the other person feels permission to also be vulnerable. And I like creating shared containers like that. And there's some photographers who I certainly call close friends that, and we've shared intimate details about our own lives with each other and our challenges and triumphs, et cetera. Yeah, so I alluded earlier in my, I want to say early 20s, but really it's my mid 20s. I wish I was younger because, you know, mid 20s, you're kind of an adult. You should have your shit together. But (laughs) I was going through in this period of time and a lot of people my age who come from the coasts of this country, we value connection and better understanding ourselves and our identity. I think we're somewhat of an identity obsessed culture. I am no different. I really like having labels for myself because it helps me better understand who I am and it helps me normalize the challenges I'm going through. So I've struggled with various mental health issues throughout my life and I've always been very high functioning because some of the mental health issues I have are kind of condoned by society. For example, I have generalized anxiety and I man- it manifests through workaholism for the most part. So I'm constantly productive. I'm constantly generating something. And people are like, wow, you work so hard and you're so accomplished. And my response is, yeah, but at what cost, you know? Because <laughs> it's I work to distract from what's going on inside and I've had a lot of demons inside like most humans do. My demons are very specific to me as a person and because I'm an artist, I think it's really important for me to for me personally to be really open about these things, but to only do it if I feel by the other person because there are people who are vulnerable I myself was pretty vulnerable at at a younger age especially just starting out as an art model and therefore a target for predatorial kinds of people and so I had numerous experiences that rocked me because there was a lot of self-blame I I let this happen I should have been stronger in my command to say no, to walk away, to sever this relationship, sticking around for something that was really disempowering. And on the other hand, this, you know, being an art model can be very empowering. But so I've learned to identify who has my best interests at heart, and who actually is here for something devious and self serving, because they have shadowy parts that are very disintegrated. And so yeah, I've had numerous experiences as an adult that kind of represent things that I I endured as a child and you know, in a in an industry that is predominantly male and 
an industry where there's power dynamic playing out, it's really easy to be susceptible to that kind of vulnerability. And there was a, in that my mid twenties, I was, oh, I was self-soothing a lot in very unhealthy ways. I was constantly in a place of victimhood whenever my heart got broken or I felt hurt by somebody. And it was a pretty dark time, to be honest. I mean, my modeling career was thriving, but I personally was not doing well. I kept walking into relationships that didn't serve me. I kept getting my heart broken. I kept saying yes to people who weren't fully saying yes to me or I felt abandoned by, felt antagonized by. And I struggle with alcohol. So it's certainly been, I've self-medicated with that a lot. And it's still an issue to this day, but much less because I am in a much better place. I like that you called the Rising Phoenix session section because I do feel I'm in that, I am in the rising process right now. I'm, I've emerged from the depths of darkness and I still go through periods that feel really heavy and really dark. You know, post-traumatic stress has plagued me my whole life and I've been really able to bypass it because I've learned how to survive. And, you know, at age 30, it's no different, but I'm much better at acknowledging when I'm, I'm shaking or shook by something. And yeah, I've had a lot of great people in my life who've been really supportive and have uplifted me through hardships and who have been really compassionate towards me when I'm not taking ownership of my own actions, when I just need to be held, I need to lean on somebody and have learned a lot from these people in my life who have helped equip me to be a stronger person, to be more self-reliant, to, you know, tend to myself better. So, you know, when I'm in an anxious or traumatized space, I will tune into work to numb and distract or to alcohol, whatever. We all have our vices, but I've gotten better at slowing down and taking taking note of when I'm feeling destabilized or dysregulated. And that's been really helpful. And being an organizer now makes me feel more empowered because I am in more of a power position now. And that feels really fucking good. I think I'm really good at it. And it's teaching me how to be grounded and decisive and self-aware and humble, like I said earlier. Yeah. So I feel like I've overcome a lot specific experience I've overcome, but I feel like I've overcome a whole period of micro traumas or experiences that activated childhood trauma. And that I notice because of the work I'm doing is happening a lot less, you know? I think we attract what we attract. We have our patterns, we have our triggers. So I think it's really important to be mindful of those things. And I'm rambling now, so that's that's that. No, it's great. Actually, I resonated a lot with what you sped, said, especially the workaholism, because I definitely had a eight year phase 
while I was in a toxic relationship, previous relationship, where I was just intentionally traveling a lot so that I didn't have to think about like my my life situation and my my relationship partner at the time and like the stress that I was under and everything. And, and there's always, I feel like there's always going to be some kind of stress when you're a freelancer at anything because, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that's, you know, not, not like very consistent. Like when you're always traveling, your life is always changing and things are always different and you have to always be reinventing yourself. So workaholism and that definitely go hand in hand. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's really hard to have self-discipline when you have no structure put in place by somebody else. You, you implement the structure. And my issue is that I don't stop working. I mean, I have, but that's historically yeah. been an issue. I just won't stop. And, you know, self-care is really important to, yes. build, to build resilience and to be more self-sufficient. And the other thing I've noticed for myself is because I, I veer towards workaholism, I burn out super easily. And who does that serve? Is that fair to the photographers who are paying me my rate? that I can only give 50% of my energy to like, no, I got to take care of myself. So I can always be in the like 80 to 100% bracket. I think it's good that you can recognize that though. I think that's very self-aware of you and and thank you for being so vulnerable to kind of go down the rabbit hole on that with me in the podcast. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Well, I could talk about this kind of stuff with you all day, but we have gone a little bit over the amount of time that I usually do the podcast for. Okay. Yeah, but I'd like to raise the opportunity if you wanted to bring anything else up before we close out, you are welcome to do that. No, I think I've covered a lot of bases or you covered a lot of bases that I responded to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we. I think that we've definitely you know talked about a lot and i'll include links to venus de tierra and fem new retreats in the show notes of the podcast so people that are listening can check it out and obviously i'll link your instagram and if you have any other links like a portfolio or anything like that i can include that in the show notes as well yeah i'll send you the website links as well i mean you have the instagrams but i'll send the website links also so I'm really excited to be offering multiple events under the Venus and FemNu umbrellas next year. If you want to be involved, please come contact me. Um, the Venuses have a multitude of tours next year, many of which are sold out at this time. But we have Venuses of the Coast, which is September. Crap, we just changed the dates. It's like 19th through 23rd or something like that. This is based in Santa Cruz, California. And we're also organizing a Venuses of the Red Rock residency for the whole month of May. And this means that a bunch of models who are part of the Venuses will be lodging together at this place of residence in Kanab, Utah. And we're going to be organizing private tours, all you know, in the geological landscape surrounding Kanab. So that includes White Pocket and the Wave and southern coyote buttes so many cool places and we just started promoting that so if you're interested in finding out more i'm happy to send you a brochure and then for fem new we have one spot left for a retreat in tulum mexico it's at a moroccan riyadh 
So it feels like you're in Morocco, but only traveling to Mexico. And that's March 4th through 8th. Um, we're really excited about that. It's a really different flavor of Femnu. And then we just launched our event in Spain for next year. The dates are September 7th through 11th. We have eight models for both retreats, actually. So they're bigger wow. size. Yeah. And my sound, I think they're some of the best lineups ever. I think they're really good. So you definitely don't want to miss out on that, especially because these models are from all around the world and, you know, they're, we're all going to be convening together. So it's an opportunity to work with models from all around the world and to connect more with them. So if you want more information about FemNew, please reach out and I'll send you separate brochures for whatever retreats you're interested in. Amazing. That all sounds like epic adventuring. Yeah. Woohoo. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Vivian. It's been a blast having the podcast with you. And I truly have had enjoyed our conversation. And I'll let you know when this episode is going to come out so that we can all post about it. Thank you so much. Just let me know what else you need from me. All right. Thanks, Vivian. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Okay.